All right, well, good morning. Hopefully you can hear me. I'm seeing some, some friendly faces. Welcome to Hope Church Online. It's good to see some of you. And uh, yeah, we are here to worship the living God, to find comfort, to find encouragement, uh, even in the presence of one another as we hear the gospel and get to see each other's faces. So if you are a visitor, we are glad you are here with us. My name is Nate. I'm the, the, the lead pastor here. And um, yeah, please reach out to me either at pastor at hopechurch.us or via chat on this thing. Um, you can find information on our website, hopechurch.us. Uh, but we'd, we'd love to make as much contact as we're able on these crazy COVID times. Um, I've got a couple announcements before we begin our service. The way this is going to work, I just remember to keep your microphone muted as, as best as you are able. It should should already be so. Uh, but Brandon Perkins will we'll, we'll have our, our order of service shared so you can follow along. A um, couple announcements for some of our family, church family business. We have a congregational meeting virtually next week after the service in order to nominate and approve Brandon Perkins to enter into a time of training. He's training, wants to train to be an elder. And so because he would be serving you as part of his training process, uh, this requires a, a congregational vote. You should have already gotten a ballot. Please let me or Sally know if you have not gotten it, we will get it to you. You can send your ballot back to the office either by email or you can send it uh, just snail mail, post office still works. Um, but today after the service, stick around if you're a member and you can hear Brandon. Brandon's gonna take a couple minutes to introduce himself, to talk a little bit about how he's served Hope Church in the past and his desire to serve as an elder. So this, this is something I'll just give you a chance to hear him before you submit your ballot. Um, we're trying to be flexible in these COVID times. So thank you for, for being flexible with us. There's a couple other ideas and options to spend time together on Friday night. Um, I'm hoping to host a movie night through Zoom. I wanna watch uh, the, movie, the film, A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. It came out in the last year. I'm just warning you ahead of time, this is a commitment. It's three hours long, um, but I, I think it's one of the most beautiful works of Christian art I think I've ever seen. It's about the, the story of a conscientious objector in Austria who refuses to take an oath to serve Hitler and the, the Christ-like suffering he goes through in order to, to love his Jewish neighbors, uh, to not commit evil. So if you're interested, I will send out information later this week via email. If you're not on that list, uh, like I said, contact me, I'll get it to you. You can do that on here. And then one question I have for you, I have, I am able and willing to put together a, a time of teaching on the Psalms, on how to read the Psalms, on how to pray the Psalms, um, just how to understand the Psalms, how they help us when we're in times of trouble. Um, when the church has gone through anxious times for the last several thousand years, they have turned to the book of Psalms to hear God speak to them and have words to speak back as Pastor Jim's gonna speak on today. Uh, words of comfort, words of lament, <laughs> thank God why, 
I mean, all those things. So if you're interested in me putting something together for you, again, please contact me. Uh, I'm willing to do it, but if it's just for a couple people, I'd, I'd rather uh, wait till we're back together and we get a bigger group. But if there's enough of a group, I'll happily, happily do that some Thursday evening. It'll be like a functional Sunday school class that, that we'll have times for question and answer as well. Yeah, that is all the announcements I have. It is recorded, so if you didn't catch everything, you can find it on the website. I'll have the audio up tomorrow. Pastor Jim Farinacci, is our, our pastor of congregational care, is going to be preaching on the language of lament, uh, why we need that it's an act of faith to, to tell God what hurts. Uh, but let's take a moment now as we get prepared to worship for to take a moment of silence. Um, we're coming to worship Jesus, who says he is gentle and lowly in heart. He's not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. We're coming to the most understanding person in the universe. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So take a moment now and then Steve Turner will lead us. Brandon, could you share the order of service? Great, thank you. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For all the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. The sea is his as he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people, people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Come, for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, calls us by name. Listen to his voice. Prayer of adoration. Let us pray. Our great, our great Lord, the Lord of creation, you have formed us in an amazing manner. You are an awesome God. For thousands of years, we have endeavored to understand the intricacies of our bodies, 
of our universe and the intimacy of your relationship with us. And yet, and yet we know so little, there's still so much more to learn. You are marvelous in all your ways. So marvelous, so amazing, so awesome. We cannot find words or even emotions to describe you. But we know in our spirit, in our soul, how beautiful our life in you is. Indeed, dwelling in your shelter, in your shadow, is the greatest adventure of our lives. For now and forevermore. We praise you, Lord. We give you our love and our adoration. Ready to sing? Somebody just give me the clue. It's time to start. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, I rest me in the calm of rocks and the trees of skies and seas his hand the wanders wrong this is my father's world the birds their carols raise the morning light the lily white declare their maker's praise this is my father's world he shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. All right, we'll be reading Romans 8, 18 through 39. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation 
has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we'll wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know for that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he, he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor, nor, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so Peregrine's going to help me with this. And Parents of small kids, what we're going to try to do, you can go ahead and get it. What we're going to try to do is, is have some interactions. So if you want to come off mute when your child wants to talk or if they want to just um, uh, be off mute the whole time and talk, that would be fine. It's, you know, kids, kids' time is usually a little bit chaotic anyway. So um, we'll, uh, we'll deal with a little bit of chaos. So what we're going to do this morning is talk about four things. We're going to talk about stars, we're going to talk about mountains, we're going to talk about clouds, and we're also going to talk about feelings and how those feelings relate to God's love for us. Okay, so let's start with the first couple of things. So stars. I want to hear some stories about when you've seen stars. So Teddy or Edmund, do you guys want to start and talk about some stars that you've seen? Hi. Yeah, 
Happy. Well, here's a telescope. This thing we have right here, we can talk about this. This is a telescope. Peregrine just got this, and he has been using it to look at stars overhead at night, and he can zoom in really close to those stars. How many of you have gone out and looked at stars at night? I can see a few of you. Yeah, Edmund has. Teddy, have you? Oh, your hands up, Teddy. Yeah. Ryan, I see Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, do you like going out to look at the stars outside? Mm-hmm. Do they look close or do they look really far away? So far away. All right. Let's does anybody else have any stories about stars they want to talk about? How about mountains? Have you guys ever been to the mountains or looked up at a high mountain and seen a high mountain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has, yep, yeah. and you have. Edmonds climbed a mountain, he's saying. Ryan, do you have a story you want to say? I climbed a mountain once. Me oh, and yeah. my dad did. It could was you, fun. Could you see really we could far? Look at the top and we could look down. It was really cool. That sounds really cool. There's some ponds. Well, those mountains are really far away, and those stars are really far away. So we want to think about those what it means to have those mountains around us and those cloud and those stars around us and what happens when clouds come so have you ever noticed that when it's cloudy you can't see the stars the only time you can see the stars is when it's night and there are no clouds right and that sometimes clouds can hide even the mountains from you sometimes you know a mountain's right there but there's just too many clouds and you just can't even see it for a moment, it seems as if there are no stars shining and no mountains standing. Have the mountains moved? Guys, have the mountains moved when there's a when there are clouds in front of them? Have the mountains disappeared? No. Oh, the mountains still there. Have the stars disappeared? Have the stars stopped shining? No. no. The stars are still there. Yeah, why can't you see them now? Nothing. The clouds are just covering them. Exactly. Nothing, Go ahead, nothing can hide it. Nothing can take it away so no one can see. All it does is just keep them from seeing it. That yes. doesn't take it away. That's very good, Ryan. So how about feelings? Do you guys sometimes have really strong feelings? I have really strong feelings. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I'm a little bit scared. Do you guys feel that way sometimes? Teddy, do you feel that way? I, well, I'm scared of the dark. Uh-huh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Edmund, what about you? I'm scared when we had to say goodbye to the dog. Yeah, when our dog died, that was scary and pretty sad. So sometimes those feelings make us make us forget what's always there. So just like the mountains and the clouds being hidden, feelings can sometimes be like clouds. They blow in and they hide things from us. Sometimes they tell us God doesn't care or that God is far away. The the writer Amy Carmichael said, our feelings do not affect God's facts. Our feelings come and go, but God stays the same. Just like those mountains and stars are always there, God's love 
for us is always there, no matter what our feelings are saying. His promises are still shining, and he always stays the same. And our verse to remember is God is greater than our feelings. 1 John 3.20. Thank you, everyone. speak like this about God, because what Asaph is writing here is saying that, notice the faith involved here. He says, I cry aloud to God. He's not, he's not holding back. He's not, he's not ashamed. He's crying aloud to God. And it's to God, because he knows that God is going to listen. Aloud to God, and he will hear me. It's, there's, there's not a lack of faith here. There's a great amount of faith here. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And notice he says, in the night my hand is stretched out. That means he's unceasingly crying out to God. My soul refuses. When I remember, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. He is saying, I'm doing everything I think I'm supposed to be doing. I'm I'm crying out loud, Lord. I'm praying to you. I'm remembering you. I'm remembering these things, and it's not helping. It's just not helping, which is, wow. God, we can say that to God? And the answer is yes. It just doesn't seem to be working because these are our honest feelings. We're afraid to admit those, but there are times there are times when we cry and we cry out. And I, and I, I like uh, the, the term that I heard back uh, years and years ago when uh, uh, McNamara was the uh, Secretary of Defense for uh, Kennedy and Johnson, and they did a documentary called The Fog of War. And I, I, like, I like that term, I always liked that term. And in that book by, uh, Todd Billings there about rejoicing and lament. He talks about fog. And that just brought me to think about fog. When we find ourselves involved in something, and what we don't really know what this is, what day of trouble this is for, for Asaph, what he was writing about, or what David writes about. Sometimes we do get indicators of what, what, what it gives us in, in the title, maybe what historical reference it means. But I like it when they don't give it to us because it, it, we can apply it to so many different times and ways in our life. And so what, he, what, what uh, Asaph is doing is that he is, is saying to God that these are, these are the emotions that I'm feeling, God. This is what I'm feeling. This is real. This is, this is how I am perceiving this. And in the fog of our war, of whatever we're going through, we find ourselves very hard to see things clearly. We find it very hard to not be so sucked up with our emotions or that we can't think clearly or that we are numb and we, we just can't discern one thing from another. We're just so consumed with this. That this is where Asaph is telling us that he's bringing that to God and he's doing it aloud, which is great because he is, he, he really is in a, a protest, and that's what a lament is. It is a protest. 
bringing it to God. It's not a, a bad thing. It, you, God wants us to bring that and saying, Lord, I don't like what's going on here. Now, it's not saying that God is, we don't still love God and God's not in control, but he's saying here, God, I just don't like it. I just, I, it's just, I just can't deal with this. And I know I feel that way, and I'm sure many of you have felt that way. I don't think many of us want to admit that in a congregation or to some other people because people want to, you know, we want to, they want us to rejoice. And we're supposed to rejoice and we're supposed to be content. And yes, all those things are pertinent. All those things are part of it is what it is to be a believer and to follow Christ. And because of Easter and because of the resurrection and because of the ascension and because of Christ coming back and the hope that we have in the finished work on the cross, all of that is true. But still, God calls us to lament when we, we need to come to him because he wants to hear us. And so he says, when I do these, I moan, my spirit faints. It's dark. It's really dark, Lord. It's hard. I believe in you, but it's really, really hard. And then he goes on and he says, you hold my eyelids open. So I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I considered the days of old and years long ago. And I remember, I remember the song in the night and I, I, I meditate in my heart and my spirit has made a diligent search of what you have done in the past. But he says, he goes, what happens when he does this? Then, his, then he starts asking questions about God or he starts asking and presenting his questions to God, which is powerful. I love questions. The Bible is full of questions. I mean, I wrote down some what great questions that we have, and here's only a couple, but throughout the Bible, I think questions are so telling. Like, where are you when God was asking where Adam was in the garden? Just from, the, just from the Genesis, did God really say what is this you have done? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Who do you say that I am? Can you imagine the questions that you and I have that we sometimes fail to bring to God because we're afraid? We feel that God, that doesn't, God doesn't deserve that. I don't want to be irreverent to God, but God is inviting us to do that. And I hope that we do that uh, in a way that we sense the love of God and the patience of God and this ongoing covenant that he's made with us, that he is going to be with us no matter where we are. And it says in Psalm 139, right? Where do we go from your spirit? Where can I hide? We can't go anywhere without God knowing where we are. And for some people, that's a scary thought that God sees us and knows us everywhere we are and knows all of our thoughts. But for those of us who love God, he knows us, even though we, we don't say it, but here he's given us the opportunity to say them because folks, you know what happens when there's a disagreement or there's a conflict or there's a, a struggle, say in a marriage or amongst friends, what's the first thing that happens? People stop talking to one another. They just walk away. They're angry and they just walk away. And they just stop talking. Well, here God wants us, don't, no, I don't want you, I, I want you to talk to me. Don't think that I don't want to hear what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Tell me. And so he cries aloud. And then he remembers, which is 
very important, very important, but it doesn't really seem to help. All it does is prompt more questions. And notice the questions that he gives. And given any given day, you and I could go to these questions and say, yes. And some days we can go to these questions and we don't know. It's because how we feel. Now, deep down inside, our faith is still secure, but it's how we're feeling. As he says here, will the Lord spurn forever? We're going to go to these places. Is God mad at me? Is God angry at me? Have I sinned and God's punishing me? Will never again he be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? These are great primers for the book of Lamentations because these are the questions that are going on. These are the feelings of these people who you're going to hear and read and understand that they, they think God has abandoned them. They feel that God is, is not talking to them, and God is silent. In the book of Lamentations, God doesn't say a word. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? So we see this we see this protest, and then we see we bring these petitions, and then we see in a lament that it, it uh, in most cases, it leads us to trust. Because then he says, then, verse 10, then I said, this is what I'm going to appeal to. This is what's going to be the game changer for the moment. For the moment. It may take us through, and we may be through with it, but we may go back over and over again on this. And he says, then I said, I will appeal to this. And what is it? Faith in who God is. Faith in the character of God. Faith in the attributes of God. As he says here, I will appeal to this, verse 10, to the years of God's right hand, his most high, of his powerful work in creation and in our lives. He goes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of all. I will ponder on his work. I will, be, I will meditate upon the, all of the things that he has done and that they have in history to look back upon from Adam all the way to where they are with David. And notice what he ends, he, I ended there, but it says in verse 15, you with your arm redeemed your people. Notice they go back to God's love and his redemption because that is the greatest act that they could see was that God redeemed them. And I love this part here where it says, no, in verses 16 on, it talks about how creation, he's the master of creation, how creation responds to him. And when he, uh, in verse 19, he says, your way was through the sea. I like that. It's like, no, he didn't pick us up and take us over the sea. He opened the sea up for us. I mean, that was a great, great and mighty work of God. But just think, just think of the feelings that, the, that people were feeling when they were at that shoreline of the sea and they could smell the Egyptian horses coming, they could hear them coming, and they see this wall of, of water that they have to walk through. And God, as a pastor, as he says here at the end of verse 20, you led your people like a flock, like a shepherd, through that, that terrifying ordeal. But he took them through that. Someplace where they thought that was impossible, God did it. He redeemed them. And so this is 
this is how I, I, I think, and I think the rest of the Psalms tell us as well, is that God uh, gives us an understanding who he is. And the Bible gives us that. And that's why it's important for us to be in a church that preaches the word of God, in a place where we hear God's word, where we are in Bible studies, where we are in prayer groups, where we have accountability groups, where we listen to Christian music, where we read great books. This is what makes us. And then uh, the people of God that can, that can trust the God of the Bible, and so we, I, I take you now to chapter 13 of Book of Psalms. This is a short one. But again, you can see the different elements of what we talked about in a lament psalm. Chapter 13 of the Book of Psalms, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, which is a very, very common phrase in, in laments. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? Which is not always a good place to go to. And have sorrow in my heart all day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is a petition that he's bringing to God, a protest. And then he says, then he prays in verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He has this personal relationship with God. He is not, he is not saying that God is, 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 is not living up to what he, is, he said he was. But when we are in that fog of war, when we find ourselves in those places that God has allowed to come through his fingers into our life, we don't always understand them. We don't understand why God has brought this into our life. One thing after another. When it comes to broken families, when it comes to loss of loved ones, when it comes to diseases, when it comes to any calamity or anything that brings conflict in our life, sometimes you just realize how, what is God doing with this one thing after another? And uh, so this is here, he says, you know, Lord, how long? How, how, much, can, how much can I take? And we see that from other people. We can pray for other people saying, how much, Lord, how much can these people take? And are we, are we questioning God's goodness? No. Are we questioning God's character? No. We're bringing it to God because he is the only one that can deal with this. It's like in, chapter, in Luke chapter 18 of the, um, uh, the, the persistent widow, right? She goes and she's got a problem and she goes to a judge who's unrighteous who's as crooked as a dog's hind leg, but he's a judge. And what does she do? She knocks and knocks and persistently knocks because why? He is the one that represents the help that she needs. And so it isn't that we're going to knock and knock and make God annoyed and saying, oh, I better take care of this one so, I, so she gets away. It's the, the parable talks about that God wants us to be persistent because he, we depend upon him. That's what that parable is about. It's, a, it's an act of persistence because we trust in who God is. We trust in his right arm. We trust in his heart. And you've heard me say, we not necessarily always know what God's hands are doing, but we know God's heart. And notice he says here, he goes, consider me in verse three and answer me, O Lord, my God, 
light up my eyes. His eyes are so glazed over that he says, or, or I'll just sleep the sleep of death. I'm just, I'm just so worn out that I need you to revive me. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I have shaken him. He's wobbling. Now that can mean many different things. It could mean physical enemies, or it can mean the things of, of our, our spiritual battle of our life. It can mean against Satan himself. That the things that he just piles upon us. I mean, you think of Job and in the in in Job, and Job was a, 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 a innocent sufferer. Remember the book of Job? Job was, God brought Job into that situation, and he says to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And it says Job was righteous, which means that Job wasn't perfect, but Job was in right standing with God. And what did Job happen to Job? He lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his reputation. And for 37 chapters, it's about Job asking God questions and lamenting. And that's who we are. We would do the same thing. And then toward the end, God says, okay, Job, let me ask you some questions. Where were you when I did this? And then he, and then he totally gets it and understands. But for 37 chapters, we hear this man pour his heart out and asking God questions and, and not afraid to be bold. So then he says in uh, verses five and six, this is the Psalm of David, there's praise here. See, we get this, we get this petition, we get this prayer, and then it ends up in most cases, but not in all cases, does it end up with a praise. There are some Psalms, and certainly the book of Lamentations is devoid of it, except for that little few verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. See, this is where they go right back to. The steadfast love is this kessid love, this covenantal love. That's what this is all about. It's about God's covenant with them, that he will be with them no matter what. He will love them no matter what. It is based upon, I'm going to do this for you, and I will do this for you, and I will be your God, and I will give you a new heart, and I will cause you to think differently, and I will give you the ability to live differently. I will do these things for you. He didn't say, in turn, you're going to need to do these things for me. In those covenants, he talks about that. But yet, there is that sense that we know in the covenant that there are, there are, it's, it's a covenant of works that Jesus had to fulfill for us because he's the only one that fulfilled God's law. And God's law tells us that if you do this, then you will get this. But here he's just saying, here he goes, I just trust in God, your love, the love that you've shown me. This is, this is what I trust in, the love that I don't deserve, yet you're giving it to me. And you promise to be faithful through the whole time. And God shows that. He shows that even in the book of Lamentations, you're going to see that God is faithful. And that's what allows the writer of Lamentations to write the way he does is because he trusts in who God is. And But I have trusted in that steadfast love, and my heart will rejoice in salvation. My, the biggest problem in my life is being right with God. And he has taken care of that for me. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully 
with me. Now to take a look at this from a New Testament perspective, real briefly, we're going to go to the book of Romans. And the Bowmans who did a great job of reading today's confession of faith. And I asked Nate to put that there because that's where we come to when we believe and we trust in who God is. And we're, we're going to be singing a song at the end here to him, How Firm a Foundation. He's going to, we're going to sing in there, right? What else can he say to you any more than what he said, right? What else can he say to us? This is it. He's given us the ultimate revelation who Jesus is. He can't, he's not going to add any more to his love. He can't love us anymore. It is finished. Jesus died. It's done. He's, he's died for our sins. Never is God never going to love us any less, and never is God going to love us any more than he does right now. So we see here in the book of Romans, you know, this is, this is my go-to passage for everything. You've heard me talk about this. I've talked about this in churches. You've heard me talk about this here several times. It's like me when my family gets upset with me when I go back to the old movies that I love to watch. And they're going, are you watching that again? Are you watching that movie again? And I'm going, yeah, it's a great, I really love this movie. I just, I just love to see it. This is, this is Romans. This chapter, this part of Romans is, to me, the place I go to. And the place that I think we all need to go to, to have the lenses, to be able to know that God gives us the ability and the freedom to lament when we understand who God is. And I think Paul does that here for us, because he says to us, notice in verse um, 28, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. These are things that he believes in, for we know. We know that God is going to do this. We know that God is going to work, and God's going to work good, and God's going to uh, work together for good for everybody who's been called according to his purpose, which is to be glorified. God to be glorified. God be given the weight of our life. And then he says in, in uh, verse 29, then there's these things, these statements of affirmations. He says, and those, uh, and those for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. And so he's, he's given these, uh, first these convictions, and now he's affirming that this is what God has done. Paul is laying it out for the Roman readers, the church, writing it out to them saying, these are things. And, and, and everything I've just read to you from chapter, written to you from chapter one on, this is everything is, is encapsulated here. This is who God is. So you can take that to the bank. You can believe in that. This is what you can trust in. This is who you can trust in because this is what God is doing. And then he says here, in, in verse 31, what do we have? We have questions. Oh, isn't that amazing? We have questions because questions are so important. And what's good is that Paul is so good in his understanding of the human heart that he knows that when we don't understand things, we're going to ask questions. And he just does not give one question because in verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say? To what things? To everything he's written in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to right to this point, verse 30 of chapter 8. 
what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer is no one. So does he need to write anymore? And he does. He allows another question. He says, how he who did not spare his own son, but gave him us for, for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? And you would think that would be a great place to end it, but he doesn't. And he goes around in verse 33, well, then who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to condemn us? He goes, nobody, because it's God who justifies. And then he says, well, who's going to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So you think that would be a good place to end. He doesn't. Then he goes to this one, which is really so important, because what happened in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve sinned was that, if you've heard me say several times, is that there was the alienation took place, right? Alienation. Adam and Eve became alienated from God, and they didn't know what to do with it. That's what he says, where are you? What did you do? And then what happened, as we've heard, that then, then, then they look at each other and they're ashamed. So now they're alienated. Separation is a terrible thing. If you love somebody, being separated from them can be great sorrow. So who in the world do you not want to be separated from? And that is Jesus. But when you're going through a lamentation moment, when you're going through a lamenting time, when there's a time when you just don't feel close to anybody, maybe that you don't want to be around anybody, but you just sit around and you don't know what's going on, that fog of war is taking place, you have to realize that in your heart of hearts, you know this is how you feel, but you know it's not true. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, are any of those lamentable? Sure they are. We're going to lament through those times. How are we going to feel? What are our emotions going to be when we're in, in such a wine press that we're being so squeezed that we don't know what to do? Or that we find ourselves in distress, or that we're being persecuted, or that we're dying of hunger? or that we, have, we don't have the things of life, and we find ourselves in danger, or we find ourselves in so many different scenarios. Are we not going to have emotions that we're going to bring to God? And when we're going to, Lord, when is this going to stop? How long, Lord, are you going to continue this on? Because, folks, for some of us, there is an end. And for some of us, throughout history and even now, some of these things do not end during our lifetime. And so what kind of God do we have to believe in? A God who has that covenantal love. And he says here, in the love of Christ, nobody can separate us from that love of Christ. We do not need to feel alienated, but he wants us to bring those to him. And so what does he do as it is written in verse 36? He, he quotes Psalm 44, which is a lament psalm. Right in the middle, because he knows who's going to want to go through those things. And are we not, while we're going through those things, questioning what God is doing? Does God love me? Am I doing something wrong? Have I sinned? Do I not have enough faith? Does not God love me? And that's why he quotes Psalm 44, because he knows it's going to bring a lament. 
And then he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that nothing in life and death, nobody, no thing, can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing in all creation can do that. So you see, he is preparing us for a life that is full of laments and joys and rejoicing and great happiness and time of song. But this is, he wants us to remember that this is a place we're going to question God's goodness. And you've heard me say this before. It is a theodicy. This is where we put God on the stand and wonder, is God great? Is he good? Are we really going is, is, really to hold on to that? And the answer is, we have to, and we will, and we do. But this is the place, the church, where we do this together, and we find our faith strengthened, and we ask God to help us clean our lenses so that we aren't listening to Satan. We're not getting it twisted. He's not twisting God's words in our head. We're not listening to people who twist things in our head. We don't go to advice for people who don't love the Lord. We go to a place where in the counsel of many is great wisdom. And so this is so important. This is so important. That what it is, is that one writer writes, the theological significance of a lament is that it expresses a trust in God in the absence of evidence that he is active in the world and in my life. It is so important to understand this. And let me finally close with this, is that did Jesus ever sin? And the answer is no. But yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus lamented. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that not a lament? And he did it on the cross. Did what Jesus believe that God vacated the premises in his life? Do you believe, did he believe that God was gone? No, but what he did is that in his humanity, expressed in language that was human, that we could understand it, which was so great. Just think about him in the garden of Gethsemane, where he was profusely sweating. Do you think he was rejoicing? He had complete trust in his father, but yet he was concerned. And then with me, as you, we turn to, uh, in closing, the book of Hebrews says, says in, in uh, 2.18, I'm sorry, uh, 5.7, chapter 5, verse 7, he says this. I can read it, but just want to mark it down. Chapter 5, verse 7 of the book of Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And then we read right above that, in verse 14 of chapter 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession of our faith, which is who we believe God is. 
and who we believe him is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who we believe who Jesus is, and that he was fully God and fully human. And in his humanity, he taught us what it was to be really human. That's what one writer says here, in a visceral response from the depths of human suffering. That's what a lament is. Yet it is a cry that turns to God that tells us something important about what it means to be a real person. And that's what, who Jesus was, a real person. He was the perfect human being. And yet on the cross, he lamented. In the garden, he lamented. If Jesus could do it, then we do it. If Jesus laments, if Jesus gives us the freedom to lament, then that's what we do. So I want you to be able to see, and hopefully maybe some of you don't feel that way, but for me this was a, a game changer to look at this and don't look at this as spiritual depression and don't look at this as something that people stay away from. Oh, you can read those other songs, but just stay away from those ones that cry out a lot, you know, because those are pretty depressing. No, that's the ones that are, that are the place that we go to when we are in time of need. So I hope that this would wet your whistle with, uh, uh, with, as we look at the book of Lamentations. Uh, it, uh, it, we're going to need these lenses to be able to read that book. We're going to need the lenses to be, able to, uh, to be able to walk through it and see how poetically beautiful it is and how God has uh, given the writer the ability to express in human terms so that we all can use those terms in the language of lamenting so that we would honor God and God is blessed and God is honored by our cries aloud to him in our time of lamenting. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for being the example of life for us. We know we give, you gave your life for us. We know that you died for us. We know that you gave the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And yet, Lord, in your very life, we read and understand that you were a God who was tempted in every way, yet is able to help us when we ourselves are being tempted. And Lord, we find ourselves in these trials and we find ourselves uh, in things of life that sometimes do not make sense. And sometimes we understand that they do, and there are medical reasons as we think of these viruses that are going on, as we think of, of the, the loss of life with these folks, Lord, that, are, that uh, maybe some people we know and others we don't. But Lord, we know there's so many other instances of life where we find ourselves saddened and we don't understand what you're doing. And yet, Lord, now through the power of lament, through the prayer of lament, through the praise of lament, we now have the ability to bring to you something that you've given us so many examples of. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, give us a, a, a sense of that understanding. And now as we read the book of Lamentations, Lord, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified by us bringing our petitions, by bearing our hearts to you, because we realize that we do it because of Jesus. And we can come to you and we get into the Holy of Holies and we can enter that throne room without being afraid. And we have access now through you, Jesus, and we can bring our very heart, and our very soul, and all of our emotions to you. So, Lord, thank you for the strength of a lament. And thank you for the beauty of the words that you've given to us to embrace. We desire 
to pray in a way that glorifies you. So thank you for these words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John. Turn to how firm a foundation. from numbers may the risen Jesus our Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace Lord bless you folks oh, okay.